Welcome to Food Navigator USA's Soup to Nuts podcast with Elizabeth Crawford, where I dish with trendsetters, tastemakers, and industry experts about everything from emerging trends to regulatory pressures to marketing strategies. As rising temperatures push American spinach farmers farther north, late blizzards threaten U.S. corn and soy crops, and a prolonged drought in the southern plains weakens wheat production and pushes up prices, it's clear that BlackRock CEO Larry Fink was right when he told executives in 2020 that climate risk is an investment risk. At the time, Fink called on companies to be more deliberate, committed, and transparent in their efforts to improve sustainability. If they weren't, they could miss out on capital as he warned that BlackRock would be increasingly disposed to vote against management and board directors when companies are not making sufficient progress on sustainability-related disclosures and the business practices and plans underlying them. In the years since Fink's warning, many businesses have restructured and doubled down on their approach to their environmental, social, and governance efforts. And in doing so, discover that what's good for the planet is often good for business as well. Among those who heard Fink's call to action is Albertson's companies, which had long promoted ESG efforts, but realized that in order to maximize its positive impact and reap the business rewards it needed to be more strategic, focused, and open about its goals, as well as its progress. So, with the help of Chief Sustainability and Transformation Officer Suzanne Long, Albertson's companies recommitted and restructured its ESG efforts under a new framework announced last week. In this episode of Food Navigator USA's Soup to Nuts podcast, Long walks us through Albertson's Recipe for Change framework, which centers on four prongs, the planet, product, community, and people. She also shares early results from several initiatives and advice for others in the food and beverage industry looking to improve their environmental impact and strengthen employee and consumer loyalty. So climate change, even under its current moniker, is not a new concept or a new threat, but it has taken on a sense of urgency in the business world in the past two years, a shift that long attributes in part to Fink's 2020 letter, but also rising consumer demand for more sustainable products and business practices. In the food industry, and, and we see this both with consumer products as well as, you know, as a retailer, it's really been in the last, I'll call it two years, that this has really, you know, gotten the momentum and come full force. And I think a lot of it was started with the investor community starting to ask a lot of questions about it, call it into, you know, the mid-2020 range. And then, of course, the Larry Fink letter, I think, really spurred people into action. So there are some companies that have been doing work in this space for a very long time, and, and Albertsons is a great example of that. But I don't know that everyone was doing it in a very strategic way and was really focusing it on the areas that mattered most. I think it was a function within the business, but not necessarily always integrated into the business and didn't always hit the boardroom or the C-suite. So I, I think those have been really big changes behind the scenes that have happened. You know, I also think that there's a lot changing for consumers and their demands and that people and companies are responding to that. So as an example, more than three of four consumers believe that companies should address environmental issues 
Um, that's a stat from actually 2020 done by the Hartman Group. And Coca-Cola study actually says that consumers will pay 4% more at a food retailer that supports their community and the environment. Now, I think in a hyperinflationary environment that we're in right now, um, you know, it sort of tests the waters on some of those things. But it's very clear that there's a consumer pull towards this and an investor expectation around this. As awareness of and interest in ESG goals mounts, companies likely will feel pushed and pulled in many different directions by many different players. But the reality is, no matter how committed a business or entrepreneur is, they only have so many resources, which is why Long and Fink advise companies to hone in on areas where they can make the biggest impact and transparently outline and track their progress towards those goals. To start the process, we did what's called a materiality assessment. And we had done materiality assessments as a company before, so it was really a refresh for us. But a lot had changed, um, including the fact that we had gone public. And also the tenor, I think, of the larger community and how important this is to customers and associates and investors had really evolved as well. And so in the fall of 2020, we did a refresh of that materiality assessment. And, and the starting point for that was we identified 19 what we would call high-priority topics for our industry. And that we chose those 19 out of many other dozen that we felt, while we could approach them, these 19 were ones where there's some level of associate and customer expectation that we do well in all of them. So for example, that could be everything from climate to uh, associate health and safety, customer health and safety, product safety, um, also things like diversity, equity, and inclusion, and many others, animal welfare, for example. And then we use the materiality assessment to plot them and figure out, okay, based on the importance of these items to our internal stakeholders and our external stakeholders, where do these fall on the map? And so we recognize that all of them are important for us to run our business. We can't ignore any of them. But we wanted to target the ones that were both most critical to our internal and external stakeholders. And that's how we landed on the four pillars, which you hear us you know, represent as planet, people, product, and communities. The way we then talk about that even further is you know, for planet, it's climate action. It's really about energy and emissions. For um, communities, it's all around community stewardship. Diversity, equity, and inclusion around people. And for product, making sure we minimize our food waste and optimize as much as possible plastics and packaging. There were some topics we also determined that were foundational to how we run our business. So for example, when it comes to food safety, we can't build a sustainability strategy around food safety. Our consumers expect by walking into our stores, we already excel in that space. Our consumers expect that we are going to protect their data privacy, So, as another example. And so I think it's really important to know that for some of the items that we had on our list, we just recognized that we had to excel at those operationally and that they are part of an ESG strategy, but they couldn't, simply would not makes sense to put as our kind of foundational, or sorry, as our tier one topics. Within this framework and looking at where Albertsons could have the biggest positive impact around climate action, 
Long said that the retailer determined it could quickly reduce its carbon emissions by 47% by 2030, simply by rethinking how it uses refrigeration and refrigerants. When you think about walking into a grocery store, you know, in your mind's eye, pivot yourself around the store. There are refrigeration units and freezers everywhere, right? It's in the deli. It's in the meat department. It's in the freezer section. It's where you buy your dairy and your cheese, and it's really throughout the store. And so, by having so much refrigeration and by having you know large footprints of our stores, we consume a lot of energy in our business. And so, that makes up about 43% of our scope one and two footprint. Of our own of our own carbon footprint, and then the second piece is refrigeration requires refrigerants, and refrigerants are just inherently not good for the environment, and they can be not good in two ways. One, just in the course of using refrigerants, some of them get emitted into the air, but the other thing is that those refrigerants can have varying degrees of um, how much they impact the environment, and so you can actually use less. Carbon-intensive refrigerants to have less of a footprint when it comes to carbon. And so, what we did is, since both of those two items—the refrigeration and the energy—make up 86% of our scope one and two footprint, we knew that those were the two areas we needed to focus on most and set a target around. So then, the next exercise was saying. All right. If we're going to set a science-based target, which we had committed to, and and actually our our Goal has been approved by the SBTI, the Science-Based Target Initiative. In order to set that goal, we're going to have to figure out how do we change the trajectory of what we use today. And so the nice thing is, as I mentioned, we've already done a lot of projects in this space around energy efficiency and improving our、um, refrigerant use. And so we knew where to turn. We knew what areas we could invest in, and we knew what things we hadn't yet done that would also be potential things for us to do. So an example would be putting doors on the cases of, you know, the medium temperature cases you'd see in a grocery store. So think like the shredded cheese or dairy aisle, where maybe those were open cases before. Now you have glass doors on them. Well, that helps for two things. One, it helps not. Air condition the store through refrigeration, right? I'm sure you've walked through a store and and felt like you wanted to wear a down coat because it was so cold from the refrigeration all being pumped into the aisles. But the second thing is it uses less energy, and so those are the types of things that we can do in our stores that change our scope one and two emissions. And so we identified about six or seven different types of projects that we could invest in across our footprint. That would actually help us achieve a 47% reduction in order for us to be,、um, you know, SBTI compliant. To achieve its ambitious goal of reducing not just its own carbon emissions, but those downstream from goods sold to eventually become a net zero emissions business by 2030, Long acknowledged that the retailer cannot succeed by itself. Goals like this and meaningful change at the global level require partnerships. Which is why Albertsons is engaging with top suppliers to set science-based carbon reduction targets by 2026. We are doing a lot with our suppliers, though we're not the only ones. And I think that's the whole point of Scope Three: is that you know there's that you kind of start creating a mass push by retailers of our size to influence 
our suppliers to then set their own science-based target. So you know, even competitors of ours, right, Walmart, Kroger, Target, they're all pressuring many of the same suppliers to set science-based targets, and in that way it becomes sort of a collective push. But then there's also things that we do individually with suppliers, places where we look to say, how could you re-engineer your packaging? Or how could we partner together to do more hunger relief? Or how can we identify more diverse suppliers together um, so that we can make sure that we're offering products that aren't just from big companies but from smaller companies as well? So there's a, we are working with our suppliers to um, achieve each one of these goals, although we interact with the suppliers in different ways for each one. Many of the strategies that Albertsons is using to help partners reduce their packaging, emissions, or food waste are also being deployed at the retail level and fall under the second prong of its recipe for change framework focused on product. So on the packaging front, Long explains that Albertson's efforts can be divided into three buckets. The packaging that it uses for its own products, the packaging its suppliers and partners use, and finally, the bags that consumers use to transport their products home. The first type of packaging is the packaging we use as part of our own brand's program. So when you go into a grocery store, most grocery stores, so for example at Albertson's, have their own label that they put on the shelf, or many labels. So for us, it's things like Signature Select or uh, O Organics or Open Nature products, for example. And so we're really our own CPG company when when we have those products. And so the first thing that we can do is we can make sure that our own products are as recyclable and compostable um, and biodegradable as possible. Right? So we need to be our own first customer, and that's what our Plastics and Packaging Pledge is really about. Then the second angle is partnering with our vendors to push them to try and make their packaging more recyclable um, or even minimize packaging wherever possible. And that sort of gets back to the, you know, we need our vendors to engage with us because most of the things in our stores are obviously part of someone else's carbon footprint, and they need to be helping us re-engineer those cereal bags and boxes and cans and bottles and to be able to make sure that you know, they're doing what they can to make the planet a better place. And then the third place is really in packaging that I think is actually most representative for many customers of the grocery industry. So I mean, if you think about what are the two symbols that someone might use uh, to, to, you know, for a grocery store, they'd probably either put a shopping cart or a grocery bag, right? That would be the symbol that they would use. And so grocery bags get a lot of attention, and they should. And so we really think about our bag strategy in terms of how can we minimize single-use bags, but there's a lot of challenges around that. Um, so for example, there aren't enough paper bags to fulfill our need. We are literally, as an industry, not just Albertsons, but all as an industry, on allocation for paper bags. So we would love to be able to transition more paper bags, but they're actually not available. And then for those cases where we've moved away from single-use bags and to reusable bags, many people don't know that our reusable bags, for example, that we use at the 
check stamps, for example, in our California stores can be washed 200 times in the washing machine. They are thicker for a reason. Um, and it is because many customers don't remember their bags, their reusable bags when they come into a grocery store. And so what we are trying to do is provide them with a bag that isn't single use, but that they could actually bring back over and over and over again and is made from partially recycled materials, about 20% um, recycled materials. So we are trying to hit that on many fronts. So it is really all three. It is a combination of affecting our own brand's packaging and really making a targeting effort there, targeted effort there, working with our CPG partners to have them try and minimize their packaging and make it more environmentally friendly, and then looking at ways within our stores that maybe isn't specific to a item, but is how we run our operation like the front end bags and how we can try to reduce our, carbon, or, you know, reduce our footprint in that way as well. In addition to transitioning to a more circular economy, under Albertson's product pillar is an ambitious commitment to eliminate food waste from going to the landfill by 2030. So there's a lot of really interesting work we've already been doing in this space, but also so much more we can do. So for example, as a company, we look for lots of ways not to send food waste to landfill, right? So if that means, for example, turning yesterday's rotisserie chicken into today's chicken salad, or yesterday's French bread into today's croutons. So operationally, we look for those opportunities wherever possible. And then once we do have food waste though, because that's inevitable in a grocery store, there's really two types. There's edible food waste, and there's inedible food waste. For edible food waste, if we can't repurpose it, we partner very heavily with agencies like Feeding America to be able to donate that product to get it into the hands of people who need it. When it comes to inedible food waste, I think this is where there's a lot of innovation um, and really big opportunity for the industry. So just as an example, we're actually working with a company right now where we have cut fruit, for example, um, in our stores. So it's where you can go into the produce aisle and you can buy, you know, whether it's a 8 or 16 or 32 ounce you know, bowl of fresh cut pineapple or watermelon, for example. Well, when we're doing that cutting, because those are fresh cut in store, there's all kinds of rinds and waste that you can't actually eat that need to go into the trash. But instead of putting them into the trash, we collect that. And in some of our stores, we're piloting with a vendor who comes and picks up that product which we would normally have put, for example, into compost or potentially a landfill, which would have cost us money. This vendor picks it up for free from our stores, turns it into chicken feed, feeds it to chickens, and then we actually buy the chicken that he raises. And so that is such a great example to me of how you can find innovative ways of taking something that you know, is literally today's trash and turning it into tomorrow's treasure. And I think finding opportunities like that is where the grocery industry is really going to hit its stride. The third pillar of Albertson's new ESG framework focuses on community outreach and support, and again builds on many efforts that the retailer championed, especially around food insecurity, which dramatically increased in the U.S. during the pandemic. For example, Albertsons is committing to donating 1 billion meals by 2030. And while this goal is laudable, what Long says excites her is the retailer's commitment to work with others to tackle and break the root causes of hunger. Our, our Albertsons Foundation really is you know, a pillar within our company, and we donate tens of millions of pounds of food each year and, and tens of millions of dollars each year as well. 
the thing about hunger is that even if we feed someone breakfast or lunch or dinner, they're still hungry for the next meal. It isn't even a day-by-day or a week-by-week problem. It is a hour-by-hour problem. And so while we're, you know, we've set an ambition to donate a billion meals over a 10-year period between 2020 and 2030, the bigger opportunity that's in front of us is really to help break that cycle of hunger. How do we keep someone from being hungry? And the thing is that the causes of hunger really vary by community, right? What is causing hunger in Dallas versus Chicago versus LA versus Seattle very widely. And we believe that the unique, the, uni- the unique role that we can play as Albertsons is that we can bring together people and organizations and politicians and city planners in a community to understand what is causing the hunger in their communities and then partner together to solve it. So the idea isn't that Albertsons can solve it in and of itself. It's that we want to partner with other organizations that can help break the cycle of hunger. So for example, is the issue that there aren't enough jobs in a community and we might be able to provide some jobs but that maybe we have bus systems that don't stop at the right place to be able to pick those folks up. And maybe we can be working with city planners to help change that transportation system to enable them to get to jobs that we can provide. So there's so many different ways that we think we can break that cycle of hunger, but it's going to have to be a community effort and it's going to have to be localized. And so we're really just getting started on that journey. Um, But I'm really excited about that one. I really feel like we can make a true impact in the communities that we serve. The final pillar of Albertson's ESG framework focuses internally, but reflects a much larger issue with which most of corporate America is grappling, and that's providing a diverse, equitable, and inclusive environment. Long said Albertson's recognizes that it serves and employs a diverse group of people at the store level, but the farther away from the store, the less diverse the company has been. We recognize that we need to change that, director, that trajectory and that we're taking big steps to be able to do that. And we hope to share more information in the coming months about some specific statistics around what that currently looks like and then where we plan to go. As illustrated by Albertson's collaborative approach to each pillar of its ESG program and the involvement of different stakeholders at every level, Long says moving the needle on sustainability will require a joint effort by retailers, brands, investors, consumers, and other stakeholders. And while this may result in some unconventional partnerships, Long is optimistic that competitors can lean in and lock arms for the greater good and the good of their own companies. With that, we've reached the end of another episode of Food Navigator USA's Soup to Nuts podcast. I hope that you'll join me again next week for another installment. And to help you remember, I encourage you to subscribe to us. Until next time, this is Elizabeth Crawford wishing you a productive, profitable, and safe week.